On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Natalie Hoffman about the weaponization of suffering in narcissistic abuse, religious groups, and society. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Natalie Hoffman. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And Natalie was once our guest in 2021, and I will have that episode Uh, linked in our show notes. And Natalie is from Flying Free, which can be found at flyingfreenow.com. And Natalie is an author, a podcaster, an educator for Christian women in emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships and faith communities. And Flying Free began in early 2016 and has grown into a thriving education and support community that reaches women of faith in controlling relationships and religious environments. So a big thank you for being our guest a long time ago and for being here with us today. Thank you. It's great to be back. And today we are going to be talking about suffering. And we've been doing episodes lately about feelings. And, you know, when I thought about suffering, I'm like, well, suffering is a feeling and it's an interesting feeling. And it's interesting in, you know, it's not just something with religion where where suffering is glorified in a way, but just all of society, you know, suffering is glorified and, you know, no pain, no gain. Well, actually, before I even get to no pain, no gain, I just want to tell a story about suffering. And just, you know, my grandmother has since passed away, but I remember one day um, going to, my grandmother was just in a home for about a couple weeks, and it, we, I went there with my brother, and we met her in the bingo area while she was playing bingo, and she introduced us to this person. And they're like, oh, these are my grandsons. And we were like, hey, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, my grandmother and this woman, out of nowhere, I have no idea how it started, but it became like a suffering competition. And it was like, <laughs> and it was like, well, this happened to me. And they go, well, this happened to me. Oh, well, this happened to me. Oh, well, this happened to me. And it kept on and on and on. And then my grandmother said something about like being in like a war-torn area and like bombs dropping and all these things. And then the woman goes, I was in the Holocaust. And that ended the conversation right there. And my grandmother goes like, gave a look, didn't say anything, but gave like a look like you win. Yeah. And it amazed me that they were communicating about suffering. You know, that's how they were taking pride in their life. And that was really interesting to me. I found it amusing in one way. You know, I have a dark sense of humor that this is what was actually going on. It was like you're watching it in real time. But at the same time, it's an odd thing. But I, you know, you realize that this is like a society thing as a whole. You know, and this gets to like 
the idea of no pain, no gain. Or, you know, if I'm going to be a worker in society and I want to make my way and do the best I can, you know, I have to suffer to do it. You know, extra hours, you know, it's like a lot of times it's a rite of passage, you know, for promotions that, you know, I'm proud of how much I suffered to get this job. Um, spiritual growth, um, you know, suffering is involved. You hear a lot when it comes to art. Great artists suffer for their work. Um, yeah. And then even like altruism and being a good friend, you know, giving up your life for or whatever you're doing, dropping things for everyone, you're suffering. That's a good friend. Look yeah. at what they did for me. And then in, in the sports world, if you're watching, you know, sports, it's like real drama in real time. So they're always looking for some sort of drama point. And it's like, oh, here's this person right here who's playing with a broken finger, a broken thumb, yeah. oh, the broken leg. And we glorify that as a whole. And, you know, the glorification of the struggle and uh, sacrifice is glorified um perfectionism in a lot of ways is like this badge of honor and like it's a suffering hero so you know with all of that before we even get to the religion aspect of everything um you know when it comes to suffering you know what are your thoughts on it and how would you describe it in in your in your in your mind well, I mean, on the one hand, suffering is part of everyone's life. I mean, every if you live on the planet Earth, you're going to have problems, you know. And so I think probably what we're doing as a culture is trying to reframe it so that to make it more palatable or to normalize it a little bit. And I, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's important to reframe inevitable hard things in ways that help us to survive those things. I think when suffering becomes a problem is when it's unnecessary because there's a lot of unnecessary suffering that takes place too. Like if we think that if we're going to glorify suffering, I mean, there are people in, whether it's religious or not, people will actually seek out ways to bring about suffering or they'll stay in suffering situations because they think that that's somehow noble or beautiful or what they're called to do in this life. And that's where I think it becomes a problem. There's inevitable suffering. And then there's suffering that is, I think, unnecessary. And trying to figure out what the difference is, is important for us so that we can live a life that is not just one complete ball of suffering. So when it comes to relationships, and, you know, faith-based relationships. I guess, take us through um, faith-based relationships and suffering and specifically, I guess, the Christian community, and then maybe we'll kind of tie it in, not just in faith-based communities, but abusive relationships as a whole um, in the glorification uh, of suffering. But with the faith-based community, I guess, you know, where does this begin? Um, 
Well, there's a verse, it's 1 Peter 4.19, and it says, but let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, and there's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about suffering and how we, you know, we become more Christ-like and when we suffer, when we enter into Christ's sufferings, then we ourselves become more spiritually mature or, you know, more relatable with God. I think that's something that actually brings about unnecessary suffering because then religious communities and even religious relationships that you're in that are abusive will use that to normalize suffering so that someone who's in a suffering relationship or in a community where they're being controlled and suffering because of it will stay it's spiritualized. It's viewed as like, this is, you are more godly if you suffer more. So even like, even as a woman, um, we were taught, I was taught that we were to give glory to God through childbearing. So having children, I had nine children because of this belief and I love all my kids, but I'm just saying, this is, you know, the, what I swam in. I, we were taught even to go into labor and not to get an epidural and not to take medication because we would give more glory to God through our pain and suffering in childbirth than we would if we copped out and had medication to ease our pain. So these are just like practical examples of how this played out uh, in my own life. Yeah. And again, unnecessary. Now, after I'd had four that way, four babies that way, I decided I didn't, I decided I was no longer going to give God glory through suffering and childbirth. I continued to have children, but I did have epidurals after that. And, and it was amazing and much better. And I realized that there are other ways to glorify God than just, you know, masochistically beating on ourselves and looking for ways to hurt ourselves. You didn't say a specific word in there, but it reminded me of a word. I forget what you, the actual word you said was, but it gives me the idea or reminds me of the word holy or holy yes. or holiness. Um, what is your relationship with that word? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I would have thought of holiness as being, yeah, like purified and perfect. And like, okay, there's this concept in the Bible about the fires burning away the dross. So we would be put into the crucible and then the fire, you know how fire burn in, you'd put gold in, in a crucible and then the dross rises to the top. The dross is all the imperfections in the gold. And then the person, the goldsmith, you know, sweeps that off the top. And then what's left is this pure gold. And that's, so it's like the purifying fires. So that's a concept or a metaphor that we use in our religious communities that would also go along with this concept of suffering. It's not fun to be in the fires, but it will help us to re be refined and yes, be more holy. Um, I think though, what I, not all religious communities teach this, my belief now, and I actually think this was taught back then, but it was the cult, the religious culture that I lived in taught one thing, but then they taught an opposite thing at the same time. So it was hard to know what was true or not, but holiness now I really believe is what God imparts to all of us 
as a, because I'm, I am a Christian, I'm still a Christian. I just have gotten rid of a bunch of really wonky Christian beliefs, but I still believe in Jesus Christ. So I would say that Jesus, he already, he already paid that price for us. He, his holiness makes us holy. So the Holy Spirit lives, already lives inside of us because of what Christ did. Christ was kind of the liaison between us and our creator. And then our holiness comes through him, not through anything that we can do, because I'm sorry, there's no, I mean, have you met anyone who's like perfect and holy? I have not. And I know a lot of good people, but I don't know anyone that's perfect and holy. So I think that um, just accepting our humanity, that we are never going to be perfect and holy, it actually helps us to lean into our own acceptance of ourselves. And when we accept ourselves and we, and we get rid of all that shame, then we can actually turn around and love other people more completely too, because now we're not imposing on them our own quote, holiness rules. Like if you do this and you do that, then you can be holy too. And then I can associate with you. That's not love. And actually Jesus didn't, wasn't like that at all. He hung out with everybody you are completely and fully loved as you are. No sacrifice is necessary. So I think that would create a much better culture in our world if we all lived that way and had that mentality. But of course, you, you, and you'd think you'd find that in the Christian community because Christ, you know, but I think what happened there was that people just made another world religion out of what he taught. They just took his teachings and made another world religion and slapped their own ideas and rules onto it. And now we just have one more world religion that's really holding a lot of people in a lot of shame and a lot of, you know, condemnation and a lot of suffering, honestly. Suffering is part of the construct of, yes. of, of that religion. It's not all of the different constructs that are going on, but it is a construct within that religion, but also in some sense in society of the many different rules that were given as far as, I use the word holiness with you, but morals, ethics, virtue, and judgment. And I think judgment being a big thing, because you also said the word shame. Yes. And with judgment comes possibly guilt, shame, and, you know, those things can start running us. Everything done here, suffering is used to create those feelings. Once those feelings are there, you then start, might start having actions that those actions are going to hinder you going forward, those actions are an abandonment in a lot of ways because of the construct of, of everything. Uh, am I rambling? <laughs> no, no, this is good. Uh, um, you know, so when you think about suffering, because we see it in so many ways as this admirable trait, and that admirable trait can then be used against you. Um, you know, because we think of it in such a high regard in most cases. And then when we flip it on the other side and we think about 
who an abuser is, a lot of times they will take their suffering and they will use their suffering against you to create guilt on your side or they might shame you for not having any empathy for their victimhood in a lot of ways because suffering Mm -hmm. can be used as, you know, creating a victim. So there are many um, sides to suffering. And I guess when it comes to faith-based communities or abusive relationships as a whole, you know, what are the ways where suffering, I guess, within the community what are the things that are being said to um, women and keeping them in these relationships as far as suffering goes, um, either from their husband or from uh, the church as a whole? Well, I think like in my community, religious community, we were taught that women were kind of basically the whole problem for the human race. We were the ones that, you know, at the very beginning of time, Eve was the one who you know, listened to the serpent and ate the fruit. And then she's the one who tripped up Adam. And so because of that, and because, you know, Adam was created first and Eve was created second, they've created this hierarchy and they think that it, that this is God's stamp of approval, that there should be a hierarchy, but in religious cultures, um, like Christianity and certain versions of it, I should be careful what I'm saying, because There are just like there are all kinds of versions of all the different world religions. There's different versions of Christianity. Some versions are less like this than others. But the one that I grew up was very, very conservative. And so women, we are seen as the servants of men. We're seen as we're supposed to be the wind beneath their wings. We're supposed to overlook their faults and be forgiving and gentle and quiet and not have our own opinions and just quietly stay at home and raise a million children and make really, really delicious food and keep the house very clean. And so when women try to raise their heads and say, you know, and try to fight for equality, for example, then they're viewed as rebellious and unwilling to suffer, you know, to suffer what they must suffer in order to be purified and become more holy as the women should. Like men, I'm not sure how men become more holy, but I do know my place. I know how I'm supposed to be, become more holy. And when, and so um, women who do kind of rise up and say, I don't think this is right. I think there's something wonky about this. They're excluded. I was going to say, it's interesting because in my, in my religious circles, you're excluded if you don't suffer, but you're also kind of excluded if you suffer. Because if you suffer... There's also this line of thinking that says, well, you must not be doing it right if you're suffering so much. So if you were, you know, God would be blessing you more if you were more obedient or more submissive, or you read your Bible more, or you went to church more, your kids wouldn't be as sick, or you wouldn't have, you know, fibromyalgia, or you wouldn't have these mental health problems if you were trusting God more. So it kind of, this this sword slices both ways, I think. Um, but suffering is definitely a huge theme, whichever way you look at it in my, in my religious culture. And, um, 
And I do think that religion sort of is a reflection of what's out there everywhere. I don't think it's just Christianity. I think it's, I think it's any kind of situation where you have people groups that are deciding who's in and who's out and they can leverage suffering to accomplish their agendas. In my mind, I guess it sounds like you have this abusive structure at the top and then within the family, the, the husband or whoever the abuser is, but most likely in the, in the community would be the husband in the Christian community. Um, they are the one that is being oppressive and being abusive and when and it's their God-given right. And, and it is you know? their, is their right. Um, you're, you know, suffering while going on. If you stand up to that suffering, then there will be more accusations about you not suffering enough and your role in that suffering. And those accusations can then become bigger than the lack of suffering that you are already going through. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it being just a really big part of that community, when you kind of take that out of it and you'd be like, okay, in a non-religious, you know, situation, like suffering, and you think about, well, what is suffering in, in a regular abusive relationship? And I'm using regular abusive relationship, but that's what we're <laughs> right. talking about here. Um, when you think about that and you think about, okay, how is the abuser, you know, making me suffer? You know, they have their list of demands of how things are supposed to be done. It's, uh, you know, they have uh, moving sets of goalposts of how things are to be done. You're always suffering to get into those posts which will then move you know you're constantly doing and you're constantly trying to live up to this judgment that is going to be coming down upon you and you're living within a different construct it is not a religious construct where the word suffering is you know really um, flashing like a bright neon light in your face, like that this is what it is. It's a silent suffering where that's not, those words aren't even put out there. It's invisible in, in, in that world. And there's different terminology around things where it's not as in your face, you know, in, in some strange way, if someone who was not religious uh, at all, an alien came from you know, outer space and looked at both constructs. They would probably be like, oh, that one right there in the Christian community, you can really see it for what it is yeah. because it's really kind of in your face. Yeah. They're not hiding it in a yeah, way. Yeah, they're explicitly teaching it. Yes. <laughs> Whereas in the other one, it is a lot more hidden, I think. And it's a little different in that way where it's still there. It's just not said out loud. Well, I I have a thought. Oh, yeah, go for it. I think no matter whether you're in a religious culture or not, 
the, an abusive person wants to create suffering for his vic, his or her victim so that they, because it's human nature to not want to suffer. We're always going to try to figure out ways to get out of our suffering, right? So for a victim, they're going to try to figure out the, where that moving goalpost is so that I don't have to suffer. Like maybe he or she will be nice to me if I make sure that I hang the towel perfectly. Maybe he or she will be nice to me if I make sure that I never give them feedback or, t- or have any needs you know, or make sure that they always get meat in their meal or whatever, you know, whatever the demand is. So you're, we're looking to not suffer. And then the abuser uses that as leverage by creating suffering in order to keep us always on our toes and serving their agenda. And I just, I just, I think that the, that the Christian world and other religions use God as the, as their sidekick, I think abusive people take God and say, yeah. And plus God is on my side in this area. So you better do what I say. And in the non faith-based world, things that kind of are brought up here is a lot of the times you're dealing with someone who could be playing a victim and victimhood and that in itself being the construct or the religion that you're going to be under. And it kind of jogs my memory of hearing a lot of people say, you know, I, he wouldn't have hit me if I just didn't do this or this. It was my fault that I painted my nails blue. He doesn't like them blue or whatever. There's these rules and they are now suffering and taking blame for that suffering because of the rules that were created about the most random things to keep power and control over you as a person. Exactly. And it's really interesting to see it as like a religion has a specific construct that you can see, but when you take like the victim player or that kind of construct, they are creating a religious construct, except the God in this religion is, is them. Um, yes. Yeah. So when I, I, ha- I always say I help women of faith in emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships, because when you're in a religious environment, abusers will almost always use God or the Bible or whatever, or, you know, if you're a different religion, whatever your holy book is or whoever your God is, they will use those elements to control you. So there's always going to be spiritual abuse along with the emotional abuse. Now, if you're in a secular relationship and there's no religion involved, then you have that emotional abuse, but there still is a spiritually abusive component to it because even though some people don't believe in God, we still have certain, we still have a belief system about how the world works and how people are supposed to be moving and interacting within that world. And so the religion, quote unquote, is really what the abuser decides it is. It's whatever the abuser decides is their rule book. It becomes now the, the true victim's rule book. And yeah, the, the abuser is always going to think of himself or herself as the victim 
whenever the real victim doesn't come through for them you know, in the way that they expect them to. Thinking of course of control as a whole and that framework and all the different elements that go into that. And, you know, I just looked at the word a second ago, isolation. And yeah. I was like, well, what is isolation? And besides being a tactic, it is um, suffering in silence. Mm. Yes, which is considered a virtue in religious circles. Mm -hmm. The isolation thing makes me think of, um, you know, how abusers will isolate their, their victim, but also churches isolate their people too. They insulate them from the outside world. We were told in the church that I was in that, that ultimately ended up excommunicating me when I finally got so rebellious that I divorced my, my abuser. They would tell us, we recommend that you only read books that we carry in our library or that we sell in our bookstore. These are books that are safe. We have vetted them. We know these authors. We know these pastors. We know that they are teaching you the truth. And everybody else is teaching you like wonky lies and don't listen to them. That's very dangerous if you listen to anyone outside. So that kept us only brainwashed with a certain, with a certain theology or a certain way of thinking. And we, I was literally scared to read <laughs> once I got out, then I was like, okay, I am reading all the books that I thought were, you know, the heretical books. I'm going to read all of them and figure out. And I, I started reading some of these heretical books and they were so love saturated, so God saturated, so wise and fascinating. And they opened up a whole new world for me that I had never been exposed to because I was told that they were dangerous. So in that way, I think religious cultures isolate their people from actually understanding the perspectives, even the, even the perspectives of other religions. I think it's important to understand where people in other religions other than our own are coming from. How do they think? Why do they think the way they think? What is creating their, you know, worldview? I think we need to, we need to be more open-minded, but like in my, in my, um, church, you know, if you tried to get to know people from other religions, it was very, also very dangerous because they might convert you to their religion. Well, if your if your religion is that shaky that, or your faith is that shaky that you are in danger of being converted, then maybe you should be converted. You know, I mean, I don't know, you know, it, it doesn't sound like a very stable faith if, if that's, if we have to be scared that our faith is that crappy, right? And, you know, this is all a form of control. There's these do as they say or suffer consequences, uh, emotional or physical or sexual uh, consequences. You know, seeing you suffer for many abusers is part of this power and control inflicting the pain, you know, creating shame and guilt is part of the suffering. And it's all part of the different aspects of power and control and coercive control as a whole. And the different strings that are being pulled are, are there to kind of keep you where you are. 
And, you know, if they're not pulling strings, maybe they already pulled strings a long time ago, so they don't even have to do it anymore, and you're, and you're doing it yourself. There's the self-gaslighting that is, that is going on. And coercive control can also be done, you know, as I said, power and control, and there can be their own amusement that's happening. And we mentioned earlier uh, a demanding abuser, the victim player, and how they use coercive control tactics and the different ways that they can use suffering to control you. So, you know, the other types of abusers that we haven't mentioned here, when we think of the Lundy Bancroft uh, abuser types, like there's a Mr. Right, and they can be attacking your competence and free thought, and they will make you suffer if you don't think the way that they think. You'll ensue suffering as they lower your worth, try to make you feel like you are not good enough. When we think of the water torture, they're good at twisting things around on you. You might think that you are the abuser, brings in a lot of shame here. And you suffer with guilt as well. And you could be having agonizing rumination over this. Mr. Sensitive, uh, like the water torture, as I just mentioned, you, they can twist things around on you. Shame, guilt, you're suffering. You're thinking that you're a bad person. You know, when it comes to the player, uh, that person is a little bit like, you know, Mr. Sensitive or the water torture. But there's triangulation here and you're ping-ponging, you're off balance confused about who they are actions not matching words and you're suffering in this tailspin you know you're wanting to catch and prove who they really are when it comes to the player and you're just caught in this tailspin of suffering and and not knowing what is going on the confusion of everything and then we can really group the terrorists together with the drill sergeant in, in a rambo and very fear-based controlled, higher possibilities of physical abuse here, physical suffering, being in fear like this is, is mental anguish. There's mental anguish across all of the abuser types, but with this specific mental anguish, you, you know, being on high alert of, of, of physical abuse as well. And when it comes to the drill sergeant and the terrorists, they can be very big on isolation, controlling who you communicate with, uh, where you go. So guilt, shame, and and victim playing comes in a lot here as well. You suffer to make choices. You know, you don't know if you're making the right choice communicating with someone. Uh, You're afraid to choose. It's safer to just cut off communications. And a pain and an anguish is happening to make those choices. And it's a terrible feeling to be suffering like this. All of these abuser types really just want to use suffering as a way to control you, and they have different ways of using suffering. And then when you think of enduring suffering, how a victim of abuse, a survivor of abuse is enduring suffering, in most survivor stories that we've done, I always ask people about their belief systems, and then, you know, what are the beliefs that are forming in a relationship, in an abusive relationships? And these are things that can help override, you know, the, the, the feelings of suffering from things will get better. Things will go back to the beginning. So you kind of are enduring suffering a lot longer. There are things like relationships take work is mm. a big one that we hear. You know, relations take work. Relationships don't take suffering. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's weird how that 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 things like that, like a word like work, can be replaced 
the word loses its meaning or it gets co-opted in some sort of way when a statement like that comes in. Relationships take work. But that's not in the meaning of an abuser saying, hey, relationships take work. That doesn't mean suffering. And right. a lot of times, because of how society is or because of what might have been role modeled to you unconsciously by a parent, you know, trauma being passed down in, in ways. You know, we had an episode where someone learned that bending over backwards for someone else is an admirable thing to do. And, you know, they became really big in, in helping people in their life, but they still didn't have healthy boundaries yeah. when it came to bending over backwards and suffering. And yeah. that can have an impact. And when it's in the hands of an abuser, an abuser might notice that it's very easy to push the boundaries of someone who goes, uh, bends over backwards for someone because if someone is like that, you can twist them around and bend them over backwards about not being good enough. Yeah. And, you know, if you bring in the self-worth and not being good enough with someone whose boundaries have now been eroded completely, you know, they will see it as trying to be empathetic to someone else's struggle to bend over backwards, completely abandon their needs as a whole to please the other person, to do whatever they want in whatever manner, and then in many cases, do things before they're even said anymore. So rages yeah. and all those things don't come up. I'm just being a good partner. I'm sacrificing myself for the better of this relationships relationships take work no yeah. that's wrong that you the, you know it's been co-opted in that way for many people relationships aren't suffering of course relationships take work but both people have to do the work right i think it's a, i think it's a way of gaslighting ourselves honestly because we're so afraid to set those boundaries and we're afraid to set boundaries or we're afraid to leave an abusive relationship because then, because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be unloved. We keep trying to look for that love outside of ourselves. And we keep thinking, if I can just get this person to love me and accept me, then I'll be okay. When that's it, that never works. It never, ever works. Even in a healthy relationship, we, if we're always looking to that other par partner for our validation and our self-esteem, it's not going to work. Then we're just going to drain the other partner. So I think that that's what's at the root of this bending over backwards and this trying to please the other person is really a lack of self-love, honestly. And that's where our work is going to be. Our work is going to be in, first of all, finding out, figuring out why we don't validate ourselves. Why don't we have our own back? Why do we always take care of everyone else, but the person who has our name, we'll just throw him or her under the bus every single time. Why? We're, I, tell, I tell the women I work with, you, God gave you one life on this planet to steward, just one, and it's yours. 
he didn't give you any, no, you're, nobody else is your responsibility. I mean, yes, as parents, our children are, are our responsibility until they're, until we've raised them. But other than that, our partner, our friends at church or wherever we, wherever our friends are, they are not our responsibility. We need to let them live their own lives and take responsibility for themselves. But we're so afraid of being rejected and that we try to please all of these people around us. And, and yes, that's where we go back to that unnecessary suffering. There is suffering that happens in our lives. Naturally, we lose a loved one. We get sick. We, you know, we suffer and we have a car accident and there's a recovery period. We're all going to suffer that that's just normal life on earth suffering, but the unnecessary suffering is, is when we are putting ourselves in positions where we are trying to get love outside of ourselves. And it just, that shit doesn't work. Well, Natalie Hoffman, I think that's a good note to end (laughs) off on right there. And I guess tell everyone what you're up to, where they can find you and everything that's going on in the flyingfreenow.com world. Well, if you are wondering, if you're a woman wondering if you're in an emotionally abusive marriage or relationship, I do have a quiz. It's you can go to emotionalabusequiz.com and take the quiz and at the end of that quiz you'll get you'll get a gauge of, you know, where you're at. It'll help you figure out if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship or not. You can also jump on my mailing list at the end of that quiz. And when you do, I'll send you the first chapter of my book and the companion workbook. And that book is called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. And then um, I have a podcast. It's so if you, obviously if you're listening to this one, you probably like podcasts. So just do a search in your po- favorite podcast app for Flying Free with Natalie Hoffman. And you can scroll through some of the titles of the episodes I've done before. I have almost 250 episodes to binge on. And you can get to know me there and learn the kinds of things that I teach over there. Well, Natalie Hoffman, thank you for being here with us today. Everything that Natalie just stated will be in our show notes. And really just thank you for being here with me today and and discussing suffering and all the different types of suffering uh, there are and, you know, it being a real double-edged sword. It can be used against you in so many different ways and, you know, how religion can do it, how society does it, how the abuser does it in relationships. So just a really big thank you uh, for being here with us today. It was a delight. Well, thank you once again, Natalie, for being here. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. There's a button at the top of the page that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And it is a wonderful group of people on there, and you can share your experiences with all of them and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. 
And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small the town you're in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do visit DomesticShelters.org. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at ShelterMovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of a course of control transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of course of control. They help you to safety and get all of your things out of your home and into storage, all of your belongings into storage. And they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. So for myself and Natalie Hoffman, We hope you have a good night.